What is going on, guys? Um, we are back with another podcast episode of uh, Music Talks with Tyler. So this is going to be a fantastic episode. You'll see um, uh, to my right or left here, you'll have um, our special guest, who's actually my voice teacher, uh, Professor Mark Tress. And uh, he teaches uh, voice at a few different places, and he teaches online and in person um, over in the Nashville area. Um, which is awesome. So he's been a fantastic voice teacher for me and a great resource um, for myself, especially um, having not known a lot about some of vocal health things and everything. That's um, definitely probably one of his specialties, which has been great for me to kind of learn about. And um, I've definitely noticed some change in my voice when working with him. And uh, yeah, it's just been awesome. So uh, without further ado, um, yeah, Professor Dredd, welcome to the uh, podcast. So, Thank you, Tyler. I appreciate it, man. Hey, yeah. great intro. You're, you're making me sound like top notch. I appreciate yeah. it. I'll pay, I'll pay you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're kind of like, um, like, a, like the Wizard of Oz. You know, you kind of, you, you, you grant voice wishes. <laughs> so, I like that. Um, <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So if you want to start off, uh, talk a little bit about kind of um, your musical upbringing before starting lessons with me. Uh, okay. <laughs> before, yeah. um, uh, I was your student and everything and how you grew up in music. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear some a little, a little bit about that. Sure. So I'm from outside of Philadelphia originally. And um, I actually spent some time growing up playing like jazz and, and like R&B music. I, I play the piano, as you can see here. Um, and so I never really thought I would make a career in music. I knew it would always be a part of my life, but I had a passion for science, specifically neuroscience. And so I figured I would study the way music affected the brain uh, through neuroscience. And so I actually applied to several schools for neuroscience, wound up getting some substantial scholarship for it. And then to the demise of my parents, uh, decided last minute to go the music route. Uh, so that was that's interesting and, and has been a, a through line for my entire life, uh, which is kind of cool because I'll talk about what I'm doing now. It's kind of come full circle. But uh, so I went to JMU, James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and there I studied vocal performance. So I initially thought that, you know, I wanted to get the best vocal training I possibly could. And the thing that I knew about that was classical music or classical training was the best training I could get. So uh, I threw myself, immersed myself into this uh, classical program. And at the same time, I was actually studying communication sciences and disorders. So I was doing like linguistics, uh, neuro uh, anatomy and physiology, neurogenic disorders, um, phonetics, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then in my free time, I was singing and like recording music. And I actually was a music director of an acapella group. So I produced uh, several albums with them. I worked in and out of the studio. I was doing arrangements, a whole bunch of more like commercial music stuff. So uh, after my time there, I graduated and I wound up going to grad school at Ohio State University, the Ohio State University. And uh, when I went to grad school, I studied vocal performance again as a master's or at a master's level. And then I was fortunate I got a dual master's degree. So I got a degree in vocal performance as well as a master's in vocal pedagogy. And then Ohio State has a really unique program. It's called the Singing Health Specialization. It's a certificate program that you can join. 
And so I did that as well. So I was lucky to get the two masters and the certificate, which allowed me to spend about 100 hours in the operating room of the head and neck clinic and then the um, speech pathology clinic where I was working with like singers and voice users, giving them uh, vocal training and exercises and different things to rehabilitate their voice and habilitate their voice as well. And so then all of that led me to Nashville because after I graduated, I said, you know what, enough of academia for right now. I'm just going to throw myself into the, the music scene. And it was either L.A. or Nashville. And so I uh, was really lucky. I, I got the opportunity to teach at Belmont um, part time. And then the rest of the time I've just been spent spending, you know, doing my own private coaching, mentoring artists here in the States and some around the world, actually. And then I, uh, it's kind of come full circle for me. So I'm doing some science stuff over here and a little bit of music projects over there and, you know, everything in between. So it's been really awesome. Awesome. And I meant to um, just like ask just to like clarify um, so everyone knows, you mentioned like studying um, your dual masters, I think in uh, vocal performance and pedagogy. Mm-hmm. Can you briefly describe just like what uh, vocal, pedag vocal pedagogy is and everything just to... Yeah, sure. So pedagogy, like the, you know, the study or the, the teaching of a specific subject. Um, when I went to grad school, the vocal pedagogy program was essentially structured to teach teachers. Um, so we worked with Dr. Scott McCoy, who has written like probably the most used vocal pedagogy textbook in the country. And uh, he was what basically instructing, what's that? That's what we used in my- Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. not surprised. Yeah, it's awesome. The, the most recent one, well, I think the most recent one is now white, but it used to be the blue one. It's like the notorious sky blue uh, textbook. Um, but yeah, so we, we spent a lot of time in the classroom um, learning how to educate other teachers and also educate students at all different levels. So whether you're just learning how to sing and learning how to have good posture for singing and, and whatnot, or if you're on the, the tail end of someone's career and they're trying to maintain their career, you know, what kinds of things do you do to their voice to help them stay in the best shape possible? So uh, that's sort of what our, our degree was, was wrapped up in. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds really, really advanced. And then obviously you met me and um, I changed your <laughs> life, hopefully. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, kind of diving right into the um, topic, do you want to briefly kind of talk a little about to show uh, everyone's aware of this instrument right here, uh, the voice and some like the key, uh, like anatomical features um, inside of it? Sure. Um, as well as like key functions of the voice. And um, obviously, this is like kind of your degree wrapped up in to a, a small podcast, but yeah. Okay, certainly. Yeah. So um, when you're considering like the voice box, right, a lot of people talk about the voice box and you can touch it. You can even see my Adam's apple, right? Move right. up and down. <clears throat> Housed in the voice box are your vocal folds. A lot of people who are voice users or maybe not even, you know, singers uh, have not gotten the chance to see vocal folds in action. If you aren't very squeamish and you're interested, I suggest you go to YouTube and take a look at the video of vocal folds. Tyler, have you seen vocal folds before? Too many times. Yeah. Too many. Yeah. Times. Okay. Have you gotten scoped before? I have not personally gotten like scoped okay. in mine. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Well, so anatomically, the vocal folds themselves are actually not meant to like create pitch or anything like that. We've just developed the ability to use our vocal folds to do that. Uh, anatomically, it's just meant to block our airway and prevent, you know, water, fluids, food, whatever, from going into our airway. So um, what happens when we create a sound? And why is it important to understand how things are functioning? Well, when you take a breath in, your vocal folds, they're um, actually, for reference, uh, male size vocal folds are about the size of my thumbnail. Uh, female is about the size of my um, index finger and a baby about the size of my pinky. So they're very tiny and they open up when you take a breath and then they close when you try to make a sound. Um, and so when you're preparing to sing, the vocal folds open, you draw in air, and then when you're ready to sing, you start to slowly close the vocal folds. Now, there's a really cool effect that happens when the air passes through them. They actually help to bring the vocal folds together. So that's what allows us to have a really nice, what we call, onset, uh, where the vocal folds come together with the breath to create a nice sound. So uh, it's important when you're studying voice or when you're talking about vocal health to work on that muscular relationship because it is neuromuscular. You, your brain has to tell your body what to do here to align the vocal folds with the breath with a certain amount of pressure and a certain amount of flexibility uh, to be able to sing. So that's sort of the fundamental principles of how that works. Now we change things around when we're singing different styles of music or when we're singing with different what we call colors, colors of sound or timbre. Um, and that has to do with resonance. So the sound source, the vibration, you can think of it as like, um, if I do this, right, I vibrate my lips, that vibration is happening behind your uh, Adam's apple. Um, everybody has one. Mine is more pronounced. Uh, mm -hmm. Some people have a less pronounced. It's called a thyroid notch. It's a little less pronounced. But the sound source, that vibration, is happening at the level of your voice box. And then that sound is then projected through uh, from above your voice box or above your vocal folds through your mouth. And this is where we start to change or enhance the sound. So the vocal folds will actually vibrate at the frequency of the pitch that you're singing. So for instance, if you're singing uh, an A, high A, it would uh, vibrate at 440 hertz or 440 times per second, right? Or per minute. Oops, I think I got that wrong. Per, per, oops. Oh man, I didn't think I would I'd freeze on the statistic. Well, 440 times, 440 hertz is really what it is, is at a 440 frequency. Well, that's embarrassing. I should know that. I'll take that. <laughs> I just second guess myself. Anyway, so uh, it vibrates at the, the same rate as the pitch. And then uh, accelerating from that uh, sound source, it'll go into your mouth, the back of your mouth. And we shape it in various different ways to create the sound or the color of the pitch. So if you're singing jazz, if you're singing pop, classical music has a little bit more robust resonance sound, um, you know, you can adjust it that way. And that's also, to wrap all of this up, that's part of the reason why uh, I like to personally teach the voice as just the voice. Um, the research shows that when you take a look at the vocal folds, depending on the style of music you're singing, um, unless you're screaming or doing some sort of like gravel sounds or like rock or fry or something like that, the vocal folds pretty much behave the exact same way. Um, the rest of the things that we're doing above the vocal folds help to uh, change the color or the quality of the sound and therefore affect the style. So you're not, you're not changing the way you're singing, you're changing the way you're shaping the sound. Gotcha. Okay. Did you look that up? Did you look up the 440 
hertz at all? I thought you were going to... I did not, but I think... I'll have it, to look it up. Isn't it per second? Because... I've, I said per second, and then I thought it was per minute, but per minute seems too slow. I think it's oh. per second. Right. Because then the next question I was going to ask was like, because your vocal folds are hitting each other, right? So, or not hitting each other, but more so like just coming together so often. Mm-hmm. Like there could be, there's potential for like some damage there. Yes. So like, what are some good things? Like, what are like good tips? Maybe like your daily routine for um, like vocal warm up health and everything, like what you personally do? That's a great question. So you're exactly right. Um, a good example would be like uh, calluses on your hands, right? If, you, if you're lifting a lot of weights, the more you lift, the more you get these calluses on your hands. They start to get dried up and all that kind of stuff. So the more that you actually rub up against things or the more that your voice starts to collide, there's a greater tendency for those uh, parts of your body to uh, stiffen up or get dried out or to have some sort of damage, right? Um, statistically, people with a higher speaking voice or a higher singing voice have more collisions to their vocal folds, right? So if you're a low bass, you might be singing in the hundreds or something like that. But if you're a high soprano, you might be singing in the thousands frequency. So you're having more collisions on your vocal folds, more uh, essentially opportunities for you to have maybe issues. Now, in terms of maintaining a good level of vocal health, there's something called the phonation threshold pressure, PTP. Um, that is the pressure with which the vocal folds are interfacing with the breath. Um, and so if you decrease this pressure, you can make the, the perception is that this the use of your voice becomes easier. So what does that mean? Well, in order to decrease the pressure or the amount of wear and tear on your voice, you can do several things. One is hydration. As long as the vocal folds are properly hydrated, you will have a better opportunity or a better chance of mitigating some of these vocal risks. So when it comes down to hydration, you know, does that mean you should drink water during a performance? Yes, uh, to, to keep yourself maybe like moist, but that actually doesn't help hydrate your vocal folds. As we know, when we drink water, it doesn't wash over our vocal folds. It actually just goes down our esophagus and into our stomach. So the hydration portion actually comes many hours before you have to sing. So if you have a big gig coming up or if you have to use your voice for a long period of time, it's really pertinent that you use, or excuse me, that you drink water like the night before and several hours before. Um, that way your vocal folds are actually properly moistened. Um, there's a device. Or like a, uh, or like a recital, like the one coming up. Uh... Yeah, like you have. Yeah. Wait, you have one, right? Yeah, yeah, you have one coming up. Yeah. Or actually, when this comes out, it's, it'll, it'll have already passed. It's, yeah. it's Saturday, right? It's Saturday. But it's yeah. like when this video comes out, it'll have. Gotcha. Okay. Well, like the recital that you guys are having. So uh, there's another thing, too. I'll give you a little tip for anyone who's watching. There's something called a vocal mist. This is pretty cool, Tyler. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but it's a saline nebulizer. So it takes a saline solution, isotonic saline, and it starts off as a liquid and nebulizes it into a mist. And when you breathe it in, um, the saline actually permeates the tissue of your vocal folds uh, and has been shown to help hydrate your vocal folds, which is really awesome. Because if you're in a bind and you're using your voice a lot and drinking water is just not helping hydrate from the inside out, or maybe you can't 
drink enough water or your body can't process it fast enough to hydrate your vocal folds, uh, the isotonic solution can actually help with that. Gotcha. I actually did not know about that. So that's mm -hmm. really, really cool. Um, what about like some, could you talk a little bit about some of like the problems that you've seen having dealt with many, many different singers and, uh, or even potential problems, uh, from like them not implementing some of these healthy habits, obviously, um, like that mist is maybe a little bit more of an advanced solution, but like, sure. Something's basic. Yeah. So I think it varies for everybody. Right. Yeah. Like I'm the kind of person that as I've gotten older, for whatever reason, if I eat like pizza late at night and I have acid reflux or something like that, like my voice is shot. Right. You know, or um, if I eat a lot of spicy foods, I just don't really sing very well. So it varies from person to person. And I think what you need to do if you're going to be using your voice or if you're preparing for a recital or if you're preparing for a speech or anything like that, um, it's really important for you to take a holistic view of how your body functions the best. Um, a lot of people don't realize that they have acid reflux or GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease is what it's called, um, G-E-R-D. A lot of people don't realize that. And so if you have allergies mixed with acid reflux, mixed with a food intolerance, mixed with, you know, dryness, it's just this cocktail of like negative effects on your voice right so even eliminating one of those things like for instance when i sing if i have a big event the next day i will not eat like several hours before i go to bed because i know that when i eat before i go to bed i can't sleep very well i have acid reflux which affects my voice and you know it just causes a lot of issues that doesn't help me prepare for the next performance so eating really well is is something important that i've personally incorporated and i've noticed a lot of artists um you know struggle with especially if you're on tour or something like that and you eat late at night it's always like pizza and for the older people you know pizza and beer and whatever um so when they're out and about they got to be more conscientious of that um another thing too is like proper physical warm-up a lot of people think that they can do a couple things with their voice and then just go and you know they'll be good to go for the performance but a lot of warming up has to do with warming up your brain and your body and then the voice sort of comes along right so hydration is part of warming up you need to make sure you have tons of fluids in your body you need to make sure your brain is is building up that neuromuscular connection you're understanding how to put things together and reminding yourself of the alignment of things and then warming your body up like if i have a big performance or have a gig or recording session or something like that the best thing for me is actually to go for like a walk or to get a full workout in usually if i can get a full workout in i feel great because my body's warmed up my blood's pumping i'm loose you know i'm good to go and all of that actually helps affect your voice you know um yeah i think i can go on and on and on this you know but i think those are pretty helpful yeah for sure and um i just thought of like another question um, yeah i was thinking a little bit about the um uh it's a little bit about like the vocal folds we were talking about mm -hmm. um so obviously like we'd settle with some damage as the higher your voice is pitched at um it's like typically male's voice versus like female voice uh -huh. um what's like uh are there some actual vocal warm-ups where your vocal folds aren't clashing like like lip trills or anything like are your vocal folds still clashing with like a lip trill or like sovt like the 
those exercises, like are there certain exercises where your vocal folds aren't necessarily clashing? So that's a pretty interesting question, Tyler. When you're looking at the vocal fold relationship, if the vocal folds are coming together, um, the real measure of like potential damage or potential effect has to do with uh, efficiency and volume. So if I'm just going, uh, I don't even know what pitch that is. My piano's not on, but <clears throat> um, I might be vibrating at some hundred and something hertz, right? So that means there's hundred something uh, collisions as I'm singing, um, and it's simply vibrating, right? If I increase the amount of volume, now I'm increasing the force applied on the vocal folds, right? So not only am I dealing with the amount of vibrations, but the force. So if I sing really, really loudly in my lower range, then I'm applying force to frequency of collisions. If I sing really, really loudly in my higher range, now I'm increasing the amount of collisions with an increased amount of force, right? So then you have that factor involved as well. Now, when you're looking at uh, lip trill exercises, if I move my lips and do not create a pitch, then my vocal folds are not vibrating together. Right. If I increase this, excuse me, sound or add relationship to pitch, every single time that I have a pitch coming from my throat, my vocal folds are vibrating. So there is a way to allow them to vibrate more efficiently and perhaps with less uh, strain on them and you're exactly right. SOVT exercises and lip trill exercises, tongue trills, all that kind of stuff yeah. are allowing the vocal folds to vibrate in a little bit more free and efficient manner. And that's really useful because what that does is that trains the body to get the vocal fold and resonant relationship to a place where you can use it efficiently and you can come back to it time and time again. So it's reliable, it has power, it's efficient. It's a good use of your energy. Gotcha. And could you touch just a little bit on like um, what like SOVT is and then also um, maybe some exercises with that? Yeah. So SOVT is semi-occluded vocal tract um, and then you associate exercises with them. So semi-occluded means um, that it's partially closed, right? Um, there are numerous um, but one of the most famous ones, I have this straw down here, I won't get it out, but one of the most famous ones is singing through um, a coffee stirrer straw. Um, so when you are semi-occluding the vocal tract, you're essentially making the escape of the sound smaller. And the reason why that's important or useful is the sound pressure that's built up in your mouth hits the front, and instead of it just pouring out, if you're going, ah, my mouth is really open, all the sounds pouring out. Uh, in this case, a more occluded sound, or if I have a straw, is preventing the release of all the sound. And the sound actually runs or, or flows to the front of my mouth and then hits that wall and bounces back. So it creates this sort of reverse pressure. Now, this is very helpful because it creates a balance um, some, there's a fancy term for it. It's superglottic above your vocal folds, right? Or the glottis. It creates a balance uh, within the voice mechanism to relieve some pressure on the vocal folds. 
So if you're in the business of trying to stretch to sing a higher pitch, or if you're trying to work through your passaggio, or if you're trying to um, do a run or a riff and your voice is like too breathy or something like that, these SOVT exercises are really good for connecting with your voice, stretching throughout your range, balancing your breath energy, that kind of stuff. And it's really meant for, I mean, you can use it as a habilitative practice or a rehabilitative practice, but I use it just to get warmed up. It's a good way of uh, connecting with my body and realigning with the way that it should work from an efficiency standpoint. One thing, yeah, one thing just to like briefly add on, because I've used the straw in some of like my lessons with some of my students mm-hmm. and um, it's really worked really well, which is why I keep using it. But, and I encourage all of them to get a straw, but um, like one thing I'll have them do is like sing the whole song uh, through a straw and yep. then sing it um, like just take the straw out, restart the track and sing it again. And yeah. like breath problems start to become like start to be fixed pitch problems start to fix mm-hmm. it's like almost just like magic but now i know some of like the science behind and i like t- like i just told them like it's magic but now <laughs> i know some of like the science like the actual science behind it um which is which is really cool so good yeah a lot of those breath issues are related to efficiency right so i always say you know if you ask somebody hey why why are you running out of breath and they're like i, I need more breath well no not necessarily if you're running out of breath, it's kind of like putting gas in a car. This is the I attribute everything to driving a car because it's a really good analogy. So if you put gas in a car, it doesn't make the the car drive faster, right? So more air doesn't make you sing louder. Uh, more gas in the car may allow you to drive further. So more air in your tank may allow you to sing longer or potentially louder. Only if you're building up the relationship of a connected voice sound with the breath. And that's really where that comes into play. And so the SOVT exercises can help with that. God, okay, yeah, I, really, I have not heard that um, analogy before, but I like that. Um, so last, as we start to kind of wrap up, what's, what's like um, a piece of any practical advice that someone could take away from this um, to any singers listening about maintaining good vocal health? Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that you can really dive into, but I think when it comes down to the basics, I think you need to just figure out when you feel your best. I work with a lot of artists here in the U.S. and and a couple around the world, too. And when we have these conversations and they're like, oh, I nailed that audition. Or like, for instance, I have this killer 13-year-old. She's just a darling and she's, you know, she's a future pro if she's not even pro already. She's that good. But uh She's in Arizona and she just had a couple auditions and some big performances come up and we were going over what went really well. And so she was talking to me about like, I had these foods and, you know, my favorite whatever. And beforehand, I took a moment to breathe and focus in on what I wanted to do. And, you know, you you gather these practices that you can put together and replicate for future performances. Um, So in terms of maintaining focal health, it's a matter of recognizing when your body's at its best. So you have to explore that, right? You have to try different things, um, taking into consideration what has already been done. So if, if people say spicy foods help me sing and, you know, maybe knock off some of the congestion or whatever, then yeah, I don't know. If you like spicy foods, go try it. Some people I know, for instance, uh, 
everybody says milk and dairy products are not good for your voice, but I know two professional singers that actually love drinking dairy or consuming dairy uh, before they sing. Who knows? Um, but when it comes down to the basics, it's hydration, sleep, nutrition, exercise, uh, mindset. Like vocal health has a lot to do with your mindset too. It is our instrument that allows us to express our emotions. So if you are having a tough day, if you're having a very difficult day, that's going to be expressed in your voice. That's how we communicate, right? So if your job is to communicate uh, a song and deliver that to other people, you need to make sure that you are within the capacity to do that. So you have to f develop these mindset practices to allow you to get into the mind space to be able to sing as well. So it's, it's sort of this cocktail of things. I, I use that term pretty frequently, but it, it's this uh, combination of, of holistic health that contributes to your vocal health. Gotcha. Awesome. Yeah, that's, this has been really helpful for sure. And if anyone like has any further questions about vocal health or anything, you're welcome to email uh, me or uh, at tylersmusicstudio.gmail.com or um, Professor Trust if there's any social platform or like email you'd like to share. Um, I'll definitely put them down. Uh, but if you want to go and share any social media. Yeah, yeah. So two things, actually, if you don't mind, Tyler. Sure. You can find me on any of my social media. Just look up Mark Tress, T-H-R-E-S-S. -S. You'll find that um, on Instagram and, and Facebook, too. Um, my website is marktress.com. Um, that's going to be uh, getting a little bit of a rehaul pretty soon, too. So there's going to be updated stuff there. And then uh, I just developed a new program with um, a good friend of mine and now my business partner, Sheridan Gates. And together, we put together something called New Roots. So it's a boutique artist experience for female artists who are interested in getting their feet wet, essentially, in the Nashville music scene. So we brought in six artists from around the country. They flew into Nashville, and they had this really amazing experience here in town. They got the chance to record with a Grammy award-winning producer. They got uh, a celebrity style session, a professional photo shoot. They had uh, a backstage tour of the Ryman, uh, which was kind of fun. Um, and then they had like a, a sync licensing session and um, royalty session and then a mastering session. And then they had a Q&A with um, the ex uh, vice president of creative marketing uh, for Reba McIntyre and then several other executives who have been like tour managers for John Mayer and manager for Brandy Carlisle and a bunch of people too. So um, we're really excited about that program and we're going to be continuing to develop that. So that website is New Roots Nash, new N-E-W Roots R-O-O-T-S Nash N-A-S-H dot com. So gotcha. yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely put all those uh, down below, but uh, feel free to check those out. Thank you so much for um, coming and talk with us. This has been super helpful, and I know you've helped me a lot of in my voice. And yeah, well, my pleasure. A lot of people around the world, so awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate, appreciate that, it. Tyler. Yeah, no problem.